You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I am a business consultant and executive coach and a leadership facilitator working with people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. Welcome back to another episode of She's Got Drive. On this episode, we are talking education and I kind of want to go, I'll I'll get back into that in a minute. I wanted to do a big shout out, you know, to Meghan Markle because she is like totally rocked the wedding, the raw wedding. I'm not a huge royalist. I kind of don't even normally have watched a number of raw weddings in my time. I'm a Brit. I've had a, I've had a, you know, a street party for a Royal Wedding and I wasn't going to watch this one. And then I thought, no, this is historic. I'm going to watch it. And I happened to be in London this last weekend. And so I sat down to watch it and I was so happy that she did the hashtag proud to be black wedding and that, you know, she right in the same place where I Um, led a program for black and Asian leaders last year at Windsor Castle, which was the first of its kind to have in St. George's Chapel, the gospel choir, Bishop Curry, you know, Karen Gibson. It was just like Sheku. You know, there was so much black people magic that was happening (laughs) that I just just felt so happy. I cannot tell you the, the impact as a black British person that that has I know there's an impact as a black American people as well but and the just like the Obamas and what that did in them having in the White House and it did for every young boy and girl being able to look at the Obamas in the White House and say I could be a president one day it will have the same effect in looking at someone who is in the establishment to say that has the potential to be even more diversity she's not the first biracial princess by any stretch there was one back in the day and if you look up in the history books and if you look at the film bell is about that uh, princess but there was so much so much the systemic impact on that around the self-esteem of young black girls and black boys is huge so i'm looking forward to what she'll do and the platform that she has how she use her platform for good and uh, which is one of the questions that we engaged in on the Black and Asian Leadership Programme is, you know, as a Black and Asian leader, you know, what's your work and what's the difference that you're making? And she is that. She's a, she's a woman of colour in a leadership role. And I'm really looking forward to find out what is the difference that she's going to make with the platform that she has. So she's a woman with drive. I'm so excited about that. And far more excited than I thought I'd be um, having sat down to watch the wedding. So we know we've had this huge impact. So I couldn't go past without mentioning that. And uh, without further ado, let me talk about my current guest. So Karen Chaplin is an independent education management professional. She was the former county supervisor of education for Essex and Passaic counties, New Jersey Department of Law and Public Safety the coordinator of regional post-release programs, the GED program director at the Janesburg, New Jersey Training School for Boys and special education instructor for the severely disabled in the New Jersey Department of Corrections. 
She started her life as an educator, as a fourth grade and middle school teacher specialising in reading. She sits on numerous boards, bringing her educational expertise to the organisations and the communities that she serves. Her life is one of service and making a difference. Karen Chaplin earned her BS in education at Lesley University and a master's in education in educational leadership, actually, at the College of New Jersey. She's, the pr- she's proud to have been married to Chuck for some 36 years. She can tell us a thing or two about relationships. And to the mother of two awesome children, her daughter Beverly and her son Eddie. This was a very moving interview for me. I get moved by the, her passion, her commitment and the work that she does for our future because the children are our future. And that is like a cliche, but it is the truth. I'm excited to give you Karen Chaplin. Karen, thank you so much for being on She's Got Drive and being willing to sit in the guest chair this week. I am excited and humbled that I was chosen. So um, let's do this. Great. Thank you. So um, I want to let our listeners know that uh, we met, I want to say in February and, and in our conversations when we met, one of the things that was really striking for me was the kind of work that you're doing around education, the, your passion and your commitment to young people and them really thriving through education. And um, it really struck a chord for me. Uh, I'll share a bit later why one of the reasons why it struck a chord for me. And so I really wanted to have you as a guest because it's so it's such an important area for us to pay attention to, for us all to pay attention to. And so I'd like you to share with our listeners what is it that you're doing and why is this and kind of like also why is this such a passion for you? Because you speak so passionately about it and that's why it was so striking as well. Well, that is my background. I, I grew up in a family where um, everyone were funeral directors, and that wasn't my passion. And I had to fight to be an educator. Mm. But there is nothing more exciting than to have to create that aha moment with a child, with an adult. It's all the same. Mm. When you unlock something that they had been thinking about, something they never thought about. You give them permission to dream. It's exciting. Mm. And it motivates me to continue to do more. It's, it's like a drug, actually. So people, I, I get a little frustrated when I hear and have known over the years where people would, would sort of push someone away from being an educator so fulfilling it it is fulfilling Mm. and especially if you love people and you love children it's exciting so I still volunteer now I mean I don't have to do these things but it's my passion and it is what I do and so I volunteer all over the place in all kinds of things I was asked yesterday how many things are you involved in Uh, well I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I'll be involved in something new tomorrow if uh, if it seems like it's interesting. So then let's start with, you know, you said that you, your family were funeral directors. 
today. Which is fascinating <laughs> because I don't think I've ever met anyone who's been his family's a funeral director. Ugh. Wow. So we let's we should come back to that in a minute. Um and then uh and so but what emerged for you was wanting to be an educator and then what did you do and how did you get how did you get out of, of the funeral director space? Like what was it that oh moved you out? That was not easy by the way. Um my father, I was the oldest child, and my father felt like, well, you're the one to take over the business. And I just felt, but I don't get any fulfillment out of it. I just, I, I felt empty. Mm. I, I just felt empty, and it just didn't satisfy me. And then the one summer that, uh, you know, that I did my summer job working in the funeral home, and I just thought, oh, this is horrible. No. And I stood up because I am very strong and mm-hmm. strong-willed. And I said to my father, look, I'll do it. I'll do the funeral business part-time, but my, I love being with children and I want to work with children. And he told me, well, you'll be broke all your life. And I said, well, at least I'll be happy. So then you go off to find your own way at college. And then, then, then what happened? Uh, I came back. I, uh, got a degree in, in reading education. It was elementary ed and reading. Um, so I wanted to be a reading specialist. Um, couldn't afford graduate school. My father was not paying for graduate school because he was already annoyed that I wasn't following in the footsteps. So I needed to make it on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I had met my future husband, my current husband. I met him there. He was at Harvard grad school. Um, he was a Rutgers grad and up there and, you know, there's a brother alert, you know, if a brother comes into Cambridge, <laughs> Massachusetts, everybody's antenna goes up. I, I don't that. know if they know it's like that, but it is. <laughs> a brother alert. I love brother that. alert. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I think he had only been on campus for about six weeks before, you know, I sort of... Uh, you know, hey, how you doing? He came to a party. He was on our campus. You know, we had uh, our little pub sold 25 cent beers. And so, and I said, oh, you know, it's kind of cute, you know. And uh, so that was how, so together, um, and he had a really great head on his shoulders, very smart, very directed about what he wanted to do. And the two of us, you know, just he supported my desire and also, he came from a family of educators. Okay. His mother was a college professor at Rutgers in New Jersey. And his father was, uh, he had his master's and he was doing uh, training in Philadelphia. So there was a respect. And I think that was what also drew me to him, that he didn't look down on me because I was a teacher. Mm. He embraced it. He understood it because he came from a family of educators. Right. And his parents were actually thrilled that I was passionate about education as well. So it was, and it was the most beautiful marriage because not only did I marry Chuck Chaplin, but I also married his family, who was wonderful. Mm. So I, and, you know, uh, we lost both of his parents, you know, not long ago. And it was, you know, it was terrible um, because I was so committed to them. And they committed, were committed to me and mm-hmm. loved me as a daughter. It was just beautiful. And they loved my family. It just couldn't have been better. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah. And it still is beautiful. 
it's kind of like um it's so it's so wonderful that there you are that you land you land inside of a family that's that's just feels like home it feels in the way that you speak about exactly. it yeah exactly yeah exactly. yeah and that they really father, saw you well they they knew that that i was battling with my father with this strong will i'm going to be a teacher and so you know uh, his father picked up where my father kind of left off mm. and you know took me under his wing just the love the love that came from both of them and so chuck has a sister i love her She's my sister. I didn't have a sister. I have my own brother. So, you know, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. And our families get along. There really, there really isn't a break. There isn't, you know, really any lines when we get together. It's all one. My brother and my mother are right in there. And Chuck's cousins and family, we're all together. It's, it's very cool. It it's is very cool. cool. It's very beautiful. I know I'm very blessed. Yeah. And so We should do it. An... This sounds like... um the basis of another another podcast around relationships i have to say mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. um what what you speak about you know i don't know about you but it's it's a very rare story you know it's not often people talk about um families that are able to come together in that way or marriages that are able to kind of have this kind of strength of relationship unfortunately you know so um, yeah, I might have you back on just around that whole piece because it's interesting. I did one on relationships. Um, I was sharing this, the seven or eight principles that myself and my husband created for our marriage when we got together. And it's actually one of the most popular episodes, which was, it was kind of one that I threw in because it was Valentine's, you know, it's kind of not one that I'd necessarily thought of that I would be doing for this, for She's Got Drive. But actually a sound strong foundation in terms of your relationship is what allows you to thrive in the world and what allows you to to live out your purpose in the world right when you're when you are loved and supported you fly as you got into education you know tell us more about that work and then then and let's look at the kind of work that you're doing now the, uh, I taught fourth grade for two years uh, upon graduation. I was blessed to come out and get a job um, teaching fourth grade in an urban district in New Jersey mm-hmm. uh, in East Orange. Loved my job. Loved the kids. Loved my principal. Uh, the kids were, some of the kids were tough. But I was the teacher that when a kid was out, uh, the kids would come back after school and we'd walk down to the kids' house and give them their homework. Who does home visits? <laughs> in the 70s, 1979, I'm walking around with the kids after school. And parents would call and say, you know, where is my child? <laughs> and, you know, my principal would call me up and he'd say, Miss Cotton, do you have so-and-so? And I said, oh, yeah, they're here. They're just cleaning the blackboards or... You know, I had a big rug in the classroom. Mm-hmm. They would sit on the rug and read. It was just, I believed in touching and encouraging. And right. it's still the same kind of thing I do now. Mm-hmm. And I got a job in the middle school, which I hated. Mm-hmm. Hated it. <laughs> and what there was it? Could, 
confused. <laughs> they are, they don't know whether they're still kids. They still want to be a cuddly kid in some cases. Right. But then they're also looking at videos and TV and, you know, and they want to dress in a more provocative way than they should, or they want to wear more makeup. They're very confused about where they are right. in that spectrum. And as parents, we're going crazy trying to, because um, I, I took my wonderful daughter through it. We survived the middle passage. <laughs> <laughs> and I love her for it, um, that she took those lessons that we learned. But it was, it was, no, you can't wear those pants like that. You can't right. wear pants with writing on the rear that I don't like. Or mm-hmm. you can't. You know, what kind of message are you giving to people? It's a lot of work. Right. So when I then got got a job working in um, the juvenile institution, I loved it because now I could converse with my students. We could, there was interchange, there mm-hmm. was conversation. So it would give me the younger ones or give me the older ones. The middle, forget it. <laughs> people should know what they're good at. Yes. And that, that was just... Not something. And now that doesn't mean that I don't work with other students. I've, you know, in other organizations, I've worked with them. But to to be in the classroom with them all day. Mm-mm. <laughs> so you got clear. And this is really great about really, as you said, knowing, who knowing, knowing who you are, knowing what you can bring. And if you're not, because let's face it, there are some teachers, and you think, I don't know why you're teaching, and maybe I don't not, know why you're here. I do not know why you're here. Or, and it might just be they're teaching the wrong age. Could be one thing, or it could be they really shouldn't be teaching, you know, but, right. you know, right. it's, but, but so to, so to know yourself is critical. And then you go and find the place where you're going to enjoy love and thrive. And then mm-hmm. if you're loving it, then your kids are going to love it. But if you're hating it, those kids are going to suffer through it with you. I loved my classrooms. Um, I really uh, pushed, especially in corrections, really pushed my students to say that while you are here incarcerated with me, this is your opportunity to really get all you can from me. Mm. Because I don't know what's going to happen to you when you get back out on the street. So let's get it all. But so many of them were 16, 17, 18, 19, couldn't read, hadn't been to school in a long time. What's out there for them? And as we progress and get more and more uh, technologically involved, many of these students are left out and the chasm grows larger and larger. And larger. Right, right. But there was always respect in my classroom. And, uh, and, and as you can imagine, even though I'm pretty short, I was also pretty tough right. about what my expectations were. And, about, and so many of them have that bravado that they're, you know, they have to be big and tough. Well, you couldn't really be big and tough in my classroom. I didn't want to hear it. You know, you got work to do. Right. Okay. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of growth and a lot of love in that room. I also taught the high school equivalency at night. And that was another one where get your GED while you're with me. And if you want to go back to high school, you can. That there's so many parents, there are young parents out there that, um, constrict the uh, the creativity 
and the exploration for knowledge. Um, and they don't know how to expand it, but there's so many free things that they can do to do that. And so people are locked. They're sort of locked where they are. Mm. And it's very hard to undo that when they're older. They're, they, they, they stymied themselves there. Right. So the system, you know, some of these, when you get to that age and you've not, you're not able to read when you're at the age of 16, 17, like the system has completely failed them, right? Um, how does it, how, how quickly can someone come back from that? How quickly can? We have seen, we saw remarkable work when they were with us in residential treatment centers. Students were, were put on a schedule you know, in many other homes, they're sort of on their own. They're raising themselves. They're eating when they feel like, they sleep when they feel like. Nobody is saying how important it is for them to get up in the morning, how important it is for these this kind of structure. Mm-hmm. And they would get that structure with us, and it was amazing to see what they would do with us. We didn't want to send them home because of the way they were improving. Right. But you had to send them home, and you sent them back to... A, a system that lacked, you know, because they may have made changes, but the people in their home had not. Right. And so they went back to, in some cases, an abyss. Right. Or in some cases, family members that would set them back up selling drugs or stealing. Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's important for kids to find a mentor. Um, did a, a workshop uh, a few weeks ago where there were some great points on there where it said, be a pain. You really want something. Go find people that will help you. Right. Somebody will reach out to you. Be a pain. To be in people's faces and ask for what you need. And if that person says no or that person is not responsive, keep going after somebody else. Right. Because somebody is going to latch on. Someone is going to, and more importantly, they will recognize that that individual is hungry. I can't walk away from a child like that. Yes. If a student is coming and they're saying, I need help with this, I need help with that, I'm compelled to help them. Right, right. You can't walk away from that child. That child needs help. If you can't do it, send them to somebody that can but we shouldn't walk away. And I think that that's what jettisons me all around, is if someone says, I need help. But I'm always saying to them, but I want you to dream, and I want you to think bigger. When you're a 3.7 GPA, over 3.0, first of all, I want to know, why is it that colleges are not clamoring for you? There's so many scholarships that are out there. There's so many programs that are out there. Right. Who's helping these students? They need more direction. They need to be pointed in that direction. But many of them are balancing all of this stuff on their own. How does someone, um, where do they begin to look for things like scholarships and, um, you know, so if, because these colleges are, you know, any of those colleges, it's just phenomenal amounts of money. 
otherwise to study and if from and when you're if you're speaking about the 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 young people that you um are working with that are fortunate to be in contact to meet you and for you to work with you know where do they what's the chances of them getting access to those spaces there's a lot but they have to know that they can do it and they have to do things in the timing so first of all you know who's who's encouraging them to take the PSAT and to take the SAT for those schools um, that are still taking that. I forget the other one, uh, but the ACT. Right. So who is giving them that preparation? Because they need that preparation, not sophomore year and junior year. They need to be thinking about it and preparing for it up until that point. The books are not expensive. You know, and they're at a lot of different stores. Plus, there's a lot of free sites online. Right. So for people who say, I don't have the money to do it, but they're free preparation sites online. So somebody needs to say that you, can do, that you need to do that. Right. Is that the parent? Is that the school? Is that the guidance counselor? Who is that that's going to take that child and push them? Also, when they fill out the free, um, the FAFSA, free um, application for financial financial aid yes and they fill that out and then the colleges will take a look at on a need-based system and and give them money in those categories and sometimes if they go back they can get additional money plus there are tons of scholarship workshops uh, scholarship sites that are out there now it can be very frustrating to be turned down but I know women I know one woman who had four children and she put all four of her children through college, through those scholarships. They were applying every week to something, but they were also determined to make it work. Right. And all of the kids are educated, and they got scholarships. She didn't mind asking if somebody had a scholarship. She was asking for it for her child. She was dogged and determined, and I love her for it. This mother who, of her, with all her her children, she's had, she's certainly been a pain, you know, in different areas. She's like. Oh. out there making sure that every last one of them is getting to college and is getting a scholarship. Right. But it takes, you said, determination, focus, and resilience because you're going to get no's. You're going to get no's. You're going to get no's. But can you keep moving forward and the information is out there? Is and out so there. With, with these um, organizations here in Connecticut that have, have said we didn't get enough. That is sad. It is. So there's money sitting on a table somewhere. Money on the table. And they're not the only. I don't want to say that that's just Connecticut because it is not. No. It's it's so many places and so much money that's out there. And sometimes you think, am I going to go and apply? You know, a kid might say, am I going to go and apply for this? It's only $1,000. I need more than that. But what I try to tell them is these add up. And in some cases, you have the ability to go back again the following year. Right. You might be able to apply again, right? It's just getting them getting them started. Um, there was one student that I was working with um, and told her about the scholarship. But you know that there's at some point, too, where if you press too hard, you can turn the student off. 
they could question what's your motivation. So I would send her notes and say, make sure that you apply. But she walked away from $9,000. That was crazy. And what would you think was the source of that? She had a lot on her plate. Okay. A lot. I don't envy her plate. But um, another friend and I, um, she saw me out there doing a college workshop last March, and she said, hey, I want to help you with it, and I know what you're doing. And she was an assistant principal here in town, in the area. Mm -hmm. and the two of us went out, did a workshop out there with the kids, and we found two girls that we started working with. And we are so pleased because both girls are finishing their first year of college away from home. Wow. On campus. So that's what you get when you push within within what you can handle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or you encourage is what I'm hearing. There's a kind of like a, I mean, a strong encouragement, but there's a kind of like yes. as a strong encouragement, but there's a holding. I think, you know, one of the things that I know in my work as a, and work with people all these years is possibility like the the insight the moment where someone can see a possibility can disappear in an instant mm. you know um and there are moments so when we're working with people and they see something for themselves and unless there's something a structure or there's a supportive environment or someone who is reminding them of that possibility that possibility can disappear and and that's what you're speaking about when those young people leave those leave and go return to the environments that are not going to support their the new possibility that they want for themselves or their lives or the new they they're going to drag them right back into what was there before unless there's strong enough structures and so yeah. this is the same when you speak about the possibility of college and someone goes what i could go to where and unless there's like this force around them to then say to keep it keep it alive keep it alive keep it alive long enough so that until they can hold it for themselves i told the girls that now that you have walked into this college your life is forever changed mm. And that you have to also realize that there are going to be people that are not happy that you have made these changes because it it will make them feel inadequate that they weren't able to do it. So you need to be mindful and sensitive to that, mm -hmm. but need to be careful not to be pulled back in. Right. So... Be mindful of that. But your life is now forever changed. Right. And these are all the possibilities. I And so they both said, we don't know how to thank you. And we said, we just want to be invited to your graduation. Mm. Call us and let us know what we can do to help. Um, one of the young ladies asked me to fill out her application. She said, hey, you know, if I'm a resident assistant, I can save half. And I said, bing, bing, bing. Yeah. <laughs> so she said, would you write out my evaluation, my reference for it? And I said, I'd be happy to. Mm -hmm. Adult learners, uh, many of them didn't feel that they had the ability mm -hmm. when, they, when they've had the ability. Right. We're told that they didn't have the ability. Correct. Right. You know, how many people were told that they would never be X? 
how about the people who, when my daughter brought her list of colleges and they told her that, you know, like, why did you choose these schools? Well, the, one of the ones that, uh, because they had a different list for her. I didn't like their list. Well, she went to that school that was the hardest one on her list that right. they had told her that she couldn't get into. And she graduated from there. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do something. Right, right. I remember my um, careers, quote-unquote, careers teacher at my school um, didn't think that I could go to college. That was his message. Like, I don't think you could get in. It's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Crazy. You know? And, and um, uh, one of the, you know, one of, one of the sole black barristers, and now she's in the House of Lords, um, in the UK, her career's advice was that they, they think they, she could get a job in Sainsbury's, which is the equivalent of working in Jewel Osco, or yeah, yeah. that was her, that was the advice. So we, you know, even those people who are supposed to be our guide, you know, is to look out for that because the, you know, the limits that they, that they have when they see you. And that's the thing about when you've got children of color, is you know whether that's conscious or unconscious but there are people who don't see what their what's their true potential and so it's on us as a community you know beyond the parents as well and that's why i think your work is so powerful it's on us to like intervene and interrupt some of that story around our children just to just drop some advice about what have you thought about that and you know your point about what you were talking about um and what a shame it is that it's not just endemic to the United States that somebody right. is crushing somebody's dreams at this very moment right. for not encouraging a child. And I think parents too, when you don't know how to encourage your child or what are the things that you need to say, then I wish they would reach out and be a pain and ask somebody for how do I do this? Just think back to the stories of parents that were very limited in their own education, but because of their um, respect for education, their kids have turned out. How many times do you see those stories? We've seen them all, mm -hmm. where the parents had, you know, grammar school education, middle school education, but they raised a family of kids that were doctors, lawyers, mm -hmm. doing wonderful things in the world. It doesn't, right? Yeah, I mean that's when I when I when I said to you earlier one of the things that struck me, you know what what's one of the things that struck me when I met you was your is it around your passion for education is my that was the if there was a mantra in my mm -hmm. household from my parents it was your education is the most important thing because no one can take it away from you once you've got it it's yours and. Um, it was drummed into us from a very young age. And I, at the time, I think as a child, I didn't fully appreciate what that did mean and mm -hmm. what it has meant. And it isn't necessarily that I came out with a degree or a mm -hmm. post-grad. It's, it's coming out with the experience and what the experience taught me about myself, my mm -hmm. ability to think critically, 
I came into my own during that time as I left home. Mm -hmm. I discovered more about who I am as a black woman because I left London and headed into Reading of all places and um, won a lot of us there. And so it really, there was so much about that journey. So as well as the kind of actual, you know, coming out with a degree, it's, it's just the whole process and the growth that happens in that period of time that is so critical. And, it uh, and it is, and it's, and it sets me on this, it set me on a whole different path in my life. And I'm clear about that. And, um, so I feel very grateful to my parents, even though there was many a night, I wasn't feeling that when yeah. they were, you know, in the moment it was just like, you are sitting there and you're doing your homework. There ain't nothing happening. No, you're not going out. You know, it's like, ah, I know, <laughs> you know, cry lots of tears, lots of tears as a child around that, you know, feeling affronted, feeling like, but really they were spot on. I want to say. But it also helps to have other people that are all saying the same thing. And when you're in some of those communities or sometimes people in your community, they can help you. Yeah. And finding advocacy, finding someone to be in your corner. And you know what? I really feel like we, we are, we really are resistant to asking for help as yes. human beings. And, um, we could do a much better job for ourselves and for our families and for our children. If we just notice that, um, thing that comes up for us for not reaching out and just go over, you got to get over yourself. It's one of the things that I say, got to get over yourself. And How about get out of your own way. Get and get right? out of your own way. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's exactly. vulnerability. It's exposing your vulnerability. And isn't self-esteem when we really look at many of the issues in mm -hmm. the community? It's a fractured self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. And it's understandable given the environments in which many are born, living mm -hmm. in raised dealing with stuff that they're dealing with it's like completely so one whilst we're not um to, we're not belittling the impact of experience and the environment but it's but what we're saying is there is a way to accomplish your goal there is a way to get through that there is a way to access the education there is a way to get what's what's due what you deserve but it takes something for you to accomplish that. I, re I remembered watching some boys that were in my son's school and the mother was, the mother was struggling. She had several children um, trying to raise them um, pretty much on her own, not mm -hmm. exactly always on her own. Um, but the kids never did any of the extra work that all the rest of the kids did. So when the kids were building the volcanoes, her kids weren't doing it. Because she said it was extra. My son came back one day and said, and I said, hey, I was talking to some other mothers. I heard that there's some project. He said, oh, the teacher said it was extra. I said, buddy boy, there is nothing extra. It is mandatory. Right. You better go in there and get the information and bring it back. But her kids didn't do it. And so the chasm, it was setting the stage for 
a lowered self-esteem when they would see all of the other kids coming in with their volcanoes. Right. And they didn't have it. What were they saying to themselves? Wow. You know, I'm not the same. Yeah. In first grade already, we're saying that. Right. And right. it's worse from there, right? It starts early. It really does. It really does. And, it, um, you know, one of the things you, you remind you of us, the need to really pay attention to the dynamics and to what's actually happening in the classroom and the relationship of the ch- of the teacher to your child and just to kind of really have your antennae fully up. I won't even tell you how many times I marched into school. <laughs> <laughs> just like with all of our quote unquote battles, we have to choose them and we have to look mm-hmm. at when are we going to when 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 do we get in communication when do we stop when at what point so we're making choices each time but to not go to battle for your child because of all of those concerns is also not the answer either you know it's right so it's like how do i um, well some of them and some of them you need to address but again it's the manner in which you carry yourself into the school so my son was in because uh, i gave one story about beverly my son um, they were talking and uh, the teacher was asking what they want to be when they grow up. Well, my son said he wanted to be a basketball player. So the woman told my son that he was short. He was too short to be a basketball player. <laughs> okay. So how's your day, son? Uh, what the teacher said. What? And of course, my blood pressure goes from zero to 90. Right. Like, great. Right. And I just said, okay, so how are we going to handle this son? And he said, well, first of all, I'm going to tell her about, because he, he's like Mr. Statistics man. Mm-hmm. So he knew all the stats on Muggsy Bogues. He was given a whole list of all of the basketball players that were short that right. were also, you know. So he says, I'm going in tomorrow with this. And he had a piece of paper. He had a news article. And he says, I'm taking this in to show her. I said, okay. Brother man, you're gonna handle this on your own, aren't you? He said, Yeah, and I said, Okay, and your mother's gonna be right in the background. So he did, and the teacher apologized to him and said, Eddie, you know what? You are absolutely right. And I was wrong. Wow. Then the mother was then, you know, I waited until he was gone and I said, you know, gave it a look like you don't do that. Right. And you know better. But they're gonna try, Pete, they're gonna try people. See the thing, you know, those, um, those moments, many, many, many moments are the things that start to eat away at someone that says, "Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I am too short. Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I can't achieve that." Because it, what in the implicit message is, you can't achieve the dream that you want. Mm-hmm. And so, when many times when I'm working with leaders adults we can trace back to a moment a moment and it's Mm -hmm. oftentimes in in a school experience Mm -hmm. and that's mainly purely because this we spend so much time in school so but that moment where i stood up i spoke up and i was shut down or i gave a presentation and i said something and i was laughed at i was you know those things well the there's message from a teacher who's in authority 
that then has someone say, well, I'm not good enough and I'm not good at that and I'm not... So we, those moments are so, so powerful in, in, a, well, in a negative way in terms of really limiting us in what we see that we can accomplish in the world. And so having some stand, even if the outcome isn't what you want as a parent, the fact that you stand in your child's corner matters. It does. Right? It does. It matters. It does. And, but the way you handled it. But the, the way, way it. matters too. And then I know that I've had the experience where um, it was the, where the principal was talking about my child in front of my child. And I was like, okay, this isn't happening. So I said, my, I just said calmly, whilst I was seething inside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but I said to mm-hmm. him calmly, um, my, my request is, is that we don't have this conversation right now. Mm-hmm. Looking sternly at him like, yeah, that's not happening in front of my child. Right. And, and and then and then we set up another time to speak and but I knew that I couldn't speak in that moment anyway because I was seething right right I knew that there would right. there'd be nothing helpful that would mm-hmm. come out of my mouth because I was in a it was in an upset mm-hmm. so I scheduled the time and I had to think about how am I gonna what's the messages that I want to communicate to the principal mm-hmm. on this matter and how do I do it in a way that has him hear what I have to say, but right. also has him not get, can, can, I'm not given by my upset. I'm not in the upset, but I can communicate my upset and my disappointment or my frustration or whatever right. it was. Right. Yeah. But in that moment I was like, I mean, in my head, I was like, I'm totally going to throw you if you don't stop yes. talking you know, <laughs> right about now. And then it's like, okay, professional Shirley, how do I do this? This is like, I re- my request is that you don't have this conversation now, right now in front of. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, that yeah. takes, yeah. Um, but I'm, you know, it's also my job, you know, I'm highly trained in around communication and, and managing my self management and all of that. But it, took a lot of self-management in that moment because warrior it's mom child. it's my child warrior mom came out it's my child it's my child and we become mother bear and we stand back this right is my baby this is me because it's a part of you yeah yeah i think that there's something about um in those moments as well i don't know if you if you've had these, well, I imagine you, I might, I imagine that you do. So I get concerned about that. I can't protect them the whole time. And it gets upsetting for me. Mm. And that's the yes. moments where I just think, oh. and as they get older, the days are even less where that's a thing, you know, where I can feel like I've got some say in how they're treated and how they're seen and um but it is it's a thing that i have to manage so in those moments it's like oh whereas when they're babies i feel like i could have coddled them and right you know we don't have to go outside actually you know what i mean when we're raising children of color is is that extra protection is the extra concern is the extra conversation and Yes. It's hard. And it's hard. And having conversations about race, racism, sexism, and we do have them, 
But I always, one of the things that I grapple with is the degree to which I'm having them and how much am I engaging in that conversation because they're going to be burdened for many more years around it. So how do I keep the naivete going as long as it can be, if you like, around these issues? And... Um, so well, that's the racism thing. has always been here. Yes. So, you know, in some cases it's more overt, but then... It's about their awareness about it. So yes. the degree to... You know, so you know when a child, those moments when your child says something and you think, oh, love, it's so not like that, you know? Mm -hmm. But you don't want them to know that it's not like that right, right. now, you know? Right, right. Um, right. That's what I mean. So that it's always there, but... And then there's moments where it bumps up against them and they don't fully know what it is. Parents of colour, that, mm -hmm. or children, we were raising children of colour, that we need to really have our antennae again around. Um, yeah, that leaves me heavy. So I just wanted to ask you, if you, as you reflect on your work and yourself, your life, and if you had to share three of your top life lessons, what would they be? Hmm. I am blessed. And I know I'm blessed. And my fear is getting to the gates, the judgment, and God saying to me, you turned your back on somebody that needed help. Hmm. Can't do it. Now that doesn't mean I don't say I say you know that that I don't say no to things mm. or but but I know that I'm blessed and that God has blessed me and so that's the way I live my life. Um, and you know I could be on the golf course every day. I could be hanging around. I've got it fantastic husband, fantastic family, play golf, all of that. And I could be doing that every day. But I live my life in service. And so I'm on this board and on that board. And it's, and it's not about just having my name there, but what kind of value can I add to this? Right. And if I don't feel like I can add value, and I've been on boards where fantastic boards that I've walked away from to, you know, at the end of my term just said, you know, I find a better fit somewhere else where I can actually be of service and be, of, and, and that I can see that there's some value that I'm adding. Right. And so that's how I choose my projects. You know, where can I add value? Where can I see the value that I'm adding? Mm. Um, so blessed and of service and uh, just being mindful that I'm headstrong and outspoken and I could get myself in trouble. <laughs> so, you know, I do have a conscience. And if I feel like I've offended somebody, it just really bothers me. Mm. So I take that into, you know, I take that. I went to church on Sunday and uh uh, the prayer of confession. I said, "Ooh, I need to read this every day." Just about being more patient and and what does it say? Being more generous and listening better. And did I need to say what I 
should I have said what I said? Right. Things like that. I thought, mm, I'm going to say this every day. I'm going to read this every day. Because I need to keep that in my head. About making sure that I'm the best person that I can be. Mm. Thank you. So great. Thank you so much for our conversation. Um, I feel very moved by it. I feel... Um, I'm not sure what it is that has me be this moved, actually. There's something about the, the, your commitment and your generosity and um do you know what i said i experience your love of young people in your sharing and um i just want to say thank you for that like it's really moved me they're our future and we shouldn't run off and write off our children there's so many of them. Right. They need right. a push. They need a hug. Right. We can't hug kids anymore. They need a hug. I was able to hug my students. Yeah. They need that hug sometimes. They're not getting those hugs at home. Yeah. Some of them are. Not everybody. Yeah. But we're a society that can't reach out and touch the way we used to. And it's... Um, but I... But I I hate to see whole. I hate to see people look at our children and just consider them to be second-class citizens, and that they're not—they're uh, not smart enough. They're not capable enough. They are. They are, and I push everybody's children. Yes. <laughs> I push everybody's children. I don't—I don't discriminate. I <laughs> Karen, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to spend time with you. Really, really wonderful. Thank really you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. This was a great experience. You're welcome. I hope that you've been inspired to shift gears in your own life. I always love to hear from you all that you got today out of the episode. I'm curious about what you got in the message to be a pain, to really keep going, to pastor the people that need to be pestered to make sure that you get what you need in your life or the life of your children or your nephews or your nieces or your people in your community you know the when we are being someone with drive when we are taking a stand around something when we are wanting to make a difference it takes being unstoppable and it takes persistence and so that's the message that I got so powerfully in that phrase be a pain to go for what you want I'm curious also to hear what else you got from today's episode and Karen is doing such sterling passionate amazing work and if you make a difference to one two three four five people the ripple effect for those young people growing up and doing amazing work in the world and contributing and continuing to give to others we just never know we just never know that's the thing about about it you never know the difference that our work makes to others in the long term she's got drivers produced by cassandra voltolina the music is by the awesome female band blonde if you want to connect with me online you can head over to instagram and find me there at shirley mcalpine 
You can find me on the Facebook page, She's Got Drive Facebook page. Join our community page as well, the She's Got Drive community. Oh, there's always my website, ShirleyMcAlpine.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, go well and stay well. <laughs>